We are this week going to finish up our series called Overcome, God's Power in Times of Trouble. This is week four of our series. Today, we're going to look at some churches that needed to overcome some things. And they were given messages in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. And we're going to take some, some excerpts from that section of Scripture and see how they apply to today and to our lives. So there are seven churches that are given messages in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. All seven churches are called to overcome some things. They're basically given an evaluation. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. And this is what you you need to do. That's kind of the situation for all seven of these churches. And so me and Pastor Corey got together and we looked at these seven messages to the seven churches and we we categorized them into three broad categories. Some of the churches fit in more than one of these categories, but we're going to look at these categories and try to See if, if this is a new thing or a, just something that happened then or if these are things that happen to us today as well. So we're going to start with the message to the church in Ephesus from Revelation chapter 2. Let's read the good, what they were doing right at the church in Ephesus in verses 2 and 3. It says this, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So are they doing pretty good in Ephesus? Oh yeah, that's pretty pretty good. So they've defended the faith against people who have come in and tried to derail the group and take them in a different direction, you know, false apostles, people who are going the wrong way, and they've persevered through hardships and difficulties. So this is pretty good, but not perfect. Next two verses, four and five. Yet I hold this against you. Maybe we'll pause for just a second. Can you be doing some things extremely well and have other things that need to be dealt with? Yeah. Absolutely. So just because you're doing one thing really well doesn't make up for the other things. We need to be walking in the ways of God the whole way. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What does remove your lampstand from its place mean? I'm not exactly sure, but it can't be good. So we want to stay as far away from that as possible. We want to not be in the situation that they're in. They were doing those things that we read about in verses 2 and 3 extremely well. And yet there's a, unless you change, your lampstand is getting taken away. So this is significant enough that they were in danger. They were in a dangerous place. And what had they done wrong? They had forsaken their first love. They had fallen from a height What was going on here in Ephesus? Well, to make it simple, they were being successful, and it was working. And then they became complacent, and they lost their connection with God. This can happen in churches where it's all working. You know, sometimes if you're just on the brink of whether it's going to work or not, you know, I mean, we all got to pray and we're seeking the Lord for, for something to work. And then when it's all working, you can kind of coast. And that seems to be what was going on in Ephesus, that they were good at doing church. They knew how to do it well. They knew how to 
persevere. They knew how to weed out the bad teaching, but they had kind of slipped in their connection with the Lord. Their personal lives of, of being on fire for Christ had faded, and they're just really good at doing church now. So they have become complacent in their success. We won't read, but Sardis was in a similar situation. Laodicea was in a similar situation, except in Laodicea, they were personally, it says, you know, you're rich, you've got everything you need, except you don't realize that you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. You know, like they had all this success personally, but they were not connected with God anymore. They were fading from God because they were becoming complacent in their success. Either, you know, in some circumstances, it was the church as a whole. In others, it was individually. But in the midst of success, they were losing hold of their fire for serving God and their connection with Christ. They had lost their motivation and their hunger. And yet in Ephesus, there's a promise. Revelation 2.7 is the promise to the church in Ephesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The right to eat from the tree of life. So to him who overcomes, complacency from success, complacency from having what you need, to he who overcomes that, we're given the right to eat from the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. What tree is this? This is the tree that Adam and Eve walked by to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's that tree. Wouldn't it be something to eat from that tree? The moment that that would signify. I wonder if we'll all get to do that. Well, the ones who overcome. I hope this isn't figurative language. I hope we get to pick off of the tree of life and take a bite. What a moment that would be. To go from frail and weak to everlasting life with a bite. We'll find out later. (laughs) That would be cool. That would be an awesome moment. So this first category is complacency because life is pretty much handled. Church is going good. Truck's paid for. It's all okay. Coasting along. But we're called to overcome that. What does it mean to overcome that? What it means is that if things are working in your life, if church is going good and your personal life is going good, don't lose your hunger for the things of God. Keep hungry while you're well fed. Now, this is such an important message, especially for us in America, because even if you think you're hungry, you're in a lot better shape than most of the rest of the world. But we need to not get complacent because... What we don't want to do is lose our connection with God when things are going well, because if we do that, God will try to get our attention. And you know how God tries to get your attention. He'll shake things up a little bit. There's a song on the radio, what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near. Let me tell you, it doesn't take a thousand sleepless nights to draw close to the Lord. You can just go ahead and do that right now. If your life is going great, just go ahead and grab hold of God. Get a fire for the things of God. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. There is no requirement in the scriptures that you have to go through hardships and sufferings before you turn to Christ. So don't be like that. Overcome the tendency to relax and to 
Lose your fire when life is going okay. Overcome that, and the promise is we get to eat of that tree of life. A second category of problems we see in these churches will represent through the message to the church in Smyrna. Let's read Revelation 2, 9, and 10. This is the trial they were going through. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So very different from the message to the Laodiceans. They were rich, but God said they were poor. Here they're poor, God says they're rich. Yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So here, Jews, we, we would say Christians, you know, believers who, who claim to be believers, but they're really false believers. There's slander coming from false believers. They're not actual believers. They've actually, it says here, synagogue of Satan, church of Satan. You know, that's very, very harsh statements. So there's darkness in the group. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So these people, it's not going good. It's in fact going very, very poorly. And what does Jesus ask of them? Be faithful even to the point of death. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your trust in me. Even if you're killed in this time of persecution, don't lose your heart for God. Now, I said, even the trial will be redeemed, you know, and that's the whole point of this series that, you know, that there's something better on the other side. What if you get martyred? Well, you get to go be with the Lord, but even then, God will use that to inspire other people. Since Jesus, Christians have done, you kill me, it just makes us stronger. We've been doing that for 2,000 years. And so even then, it can be redeemed by the Lord. So they were going through trials, persecution, hardships. Let's read verse 11. Verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So he says, Be faithful even to the point of death, because you know that everlasting life is your reward. If we're in the face of that kind of persecution, we need to be faithful to the end. Do we face that type of persecution in the United States? If we sing a song you don't like, that's not persecution. It's not the same thing. Because this type of persecution is happening now in other parts of the world. We need to be thankful for what we have and we need to pray for those and be mindful of those who are suffering in other countries where the gospel, where the the truths of God and of Christ are not accepted. We need to be mindful of them because there are people who are suffering persecution and martyrdom even now. So their problem in Smyrna, similar in Philadelphia, was that they were facing persecutions and hardships. How do you overcome persecutions and hardships? You hang on to those who are going to suffer. Some of them are going to be put to death. Jesus didn't give them a whole bunch of new things to do. He just said, you just be faithful to the end. You just stay faithful. Don't quit along the way. Keep it up. Keep your faith. Now, do we go through these hardships in the United States? Well, we certainly can go through hardships. Persecution, again, is really not as big a deal as sometimes people want to make it, 
but in other countries it is. Don't diminish what they're going through by thinking you're going through persecution. Okay, somebody said a mean thing to you on Facebook because of your faith. Not a big deal. You know, nobody's getting killed. Nobody's having their, their property confiscated. Nobody's being imprisoned. Just because somebody doesn't like you doesn't mean it's persecution. But there are people who serve the Lord sacrificially and face hardships because of it. And I want to mention them here for just a moment. There are people who are called to do ministry, even in the United States, even in this opulent culture, that are called to do ministry, they are called to do things for the kingdom of God that they have trouble monetizing. You familiar with the word monetize? We're going to have a little definition time. So monetize means to find a way to figure out how to make money doing what you want to do. Sometimes people succeed at that, but most of the time they don't. But they're trying to monetize what they love so that they can live their life doing it. Some people are called into ministry and they are unable to monetize what they're doing. The thing that they're called to do, they can't make a decent living at, but they do it anyway. There are people in America doing that. They're serving in ministries and in churches where they're unable to get a decent living wage. Now, I'm so thankful to be here at Good Hope. I'm getting paid. This is fantastic. In fact, I got to pay a bunch of taxes this year. Isn't that horrible? Like, and when you got to pay taxes, you know you're making money. So that's cool. I'm, I'm thrilled to have a tax problem. You know, like, we'll be smarter next year. But... You know, for many years, I had to work to pay for my preaching habit, you know, because nobody was paying me. You know, you serve where you're called to serve, and you just do it. We did that for years. Now we're getting paid. It's really great. We've been putting money in retirement for two years now. That's fantastic. Before, we were putting groceries on the credit card. You know, now we're putting money in retirement. It's much, much better. But there are people that don't get to make that transition, and they continue to serve the Lord faithfully in poverty, and if one thing goes wrong, they hit a real hard place. There are people right now in America serving the Lord like that, facing those hardships because they refuse to trade their calling for secure financial reality. And those are people we need to honor and we need to give thanks for. And I tell you the truth, this life is short. If that's hitting you somewhere, don't trade your calling for a little bit more cash. That's what we're called to be faithful in and to endure through. So if you're facing a trial, persecution, hardship, you overcome by hanging on, staying faithful to the end. The next category, we're going to look at the church in Pergamum. And uh, these guys kind of fit in two categories, but we're going to look at them anyway and look at the second thing that needs to be overcome. So Pergamum, the good, Revelation 2.13. So this is the message to them. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. So I'm assuming this is somewhat figurative because I don't know that there was a throne to Satan in Pergamum. But man, it must have been bad there. I mean, there must have been significant persecution and significant resistance to the things of God if in the scriptures it refers to that place as the place that Satan has his throne. Must have been very bad. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. People are being martyred in your city. Persecution is profound, but you haven't renounced my name. You're standing strong. Good for you. Now the bad, verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
Now, if you were standing that strong in the face of that much persecution, would you want to know your faults and have that be brought up? Oh, you're doing great. Some of you are getting killed. But you know what? You got these things you need to deal with. It's not good enough for us to be doing something really well in one side and to ignore another side. We've got to be shoring all this up. We've got to be learning and growing as we go. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So we don't really know who the Nicolaitans are. I've done some research on this. Nobody's really sure. But apparently what it was, was a teaching that basically held that you can believe in God, you can trust in Christ, and you can just live a sinful life too at the same time. So you don't have to live a godly life to love God. And so that was what the best guess is, what the teachings of the Nicolaitans were. Anything like that going on in today's Christianity? So what we have here, the problem is that they were letting sin into the church into their own lives, and they're, they're just not living godly lives, even though they're taking their stand, they're fighting against the persecution, but they're just not living the righteous life that God requires. So that's the problem, that they aren't dealing with sin. They're tolerating sin, immorality, idolatry, the teachings that agree with that, they're tolerating that. So It's a difficult situation. This is also the situation in Thyatira or Thyatira. Not exactly sure how to say that. I've heard it both ways. It's kind of a similar situation there. There's some solid believers, but the group is going a different direction. There's people that are fading from God. They're fading from the ways of God. And so how do you overcome that? Well, of course, you got to take your stand One of the things that's interesting in this section is it doesn't say that people are supposed to go across town and start another church that does things right. They're supposed to stay in the group and persevere. The promise is that they'll be able to rule over the nations, meaning that right now you know what needs to be done, but you don't have the horsepower to get that to happen. But later on, you'll have some authority and you'll be able to take your stand and and the right things will happen. We need to overcome just sinful living in the teachings of the church, and in our personal, individual lives. So hang on, stay true to God if that's what's going on around you, and you're, you're staying true. And then also, I'm sure it's going to involve taking your stand to a certain extent and trying to call other believers up to a higher standard. So if these guys in these churches, these people, overcame, what would it look like? If the people that needed to overcome complacency because of success, if they overcame, what would it look like? They'd be well-resourced people that are hungry for the things of God. If the ones who are facing great persecution and hardship overcame, what would it look like? Be people who stayed faithful, enthusiastic, full of faith through the difficulty all the way to the end. If those who are dealing with churches that are slipping into immorality and personally slipping into immorality, if they overcame, what would it look like? It would look like stepping into that full life in Christ and taking a stand without division, but bringing up the group into a greater connection with God and walking in the ways of God. What if they were unable to overcome? What would that look like? Well, the complacency would get worse. People would get more tired, more irritated with any expectation. People would become discouraged, distraught, and crushed in the midst of hardship. 
And people would start just living more and more ungodly lives, not trying to live according to the pattern of the scriptures, but just doing whatever they want and still wanting all the benefits of following the Lord. So do any of these three categories resonate with you? You know, as we've been going through this, have you seen yourself in any of these places? That spot of, yeah, I've got everything kind of taken care of and I can see I'm becoming complacent. I haven't kept my spiritual fervor. I'm not hungry like I was before. Yeah, I'm going through a hardship and I'm getting discouraged. I'm not full of faith anymore. I'm, I'm really starting to wonder if God is good. Or you're just slipping into stuff you know you shouldn't be dealing with, you shouldn't be living in, and you know you need to get that cleaned up. What will happen if you overcome? What will happen if you overcome those things? You'll have victory today. Your today will get better. And you'll have rewards in eternity. I wish we had time to read all seven of the promises that are given to those who overcome. There's amazing promises. You know, we read about eating of the tree of life. The second death will have no power over us. One of them is that Jesus will let us sit on his throne. That one I have trouble even understanding or, or putting my mind on. I can daydream over eating that tree of life. I have trouble daydreaming over being allowed to sit on the throne. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense to me. But it says that in the word. If we overcome, he'll lift us up. If we overcome, we have victory today and great rewards forever. Let's be overcomers. Jesus has overcome. Take heart. He has overcome the world. We have a cross in the front of this sanctuary, and it is huge. I wonder what the actual dimensions were of Jesus' cross. I'm guessing this is slightly bigger. Not, not maybe way bigger, but a little bit bigger. This is not the cross of a victim. This is not the symbol of someone who was taken advantage of, who was hurt by people who were stronger than him. This is the symbol of the Alpha and the Omega who overcame. At any point, he could have called legions of angels to rescue him. At any point, he could have just laid waste to that whole place and shown who he was. But he had the will to stay on the cross. Because he knew what that would mean for you and me. That that would mean that by his blood we are forgiven. He had the will to stay on the scourging place so that by his stripes we could be healed. This is the symbol of a warrior who conquered everything this world and Satan himself could throw at him. And he overcame. And that is what we celebrate and recognize with communion. Our closing scripture will be Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. 
when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we honor and worship and revere our Lord, we can share in his overcoming power. We can share in what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that you don't cast those aside who fail, but you redeem those who fail. Thank you, Lord, for that plan. Lord Jesus, we honor you here. We remember what you've done. We don't take it for granted. We're in awe of the sacrifice you would make for people like us. That's just amazing. Thank you for it. Thank you that you you were scourged and that by your stripes we are healed. That we can have healing in our soul, healing in our heart. We can believe for physical healing, for any number of miraculous things. And thank you, Lord, that you shed your blood that we would be redeemed. That the price would be paid to grant justice, but that your love would overcome by you shedding the blood that we could be set free. Lord, let us fix our eyes on you. Let us, when we're dealing with struggles and difficulties, let us look to you. When we are having success, let us look to you and still have fire in our veins to serve you and to see your kingdom come and to to do what you've called us to do, to not fade back in complacency. Lord, help us to walk in your light, in your truth, in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.